Black Doctors Podcast, Season 6. Hello, physicians, future physicians, healthcare workers, and non-healthcare workers at the Black Doctors Podcast. All of our listeners are essential. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host. Excited to be kicking off a new season. That's right, Season 6 is here, and it correlates with the start of our third year. Yes, three years on the air. This season, we're going to mix things up a little bit. We're going to focus on tackling some issues, some things that are very relevant to the community that we're trying to serve, the community of Black physicians. Again, we make up less than 6% of the physicians in this country, and it can be easy to feel isolated, have those feelings of imposter syndrome, or that you're less than. And we have curated a space here where we can build a community that is supportive, that is inspiring. Whether you're a pre-medical student, medical student resident, attending physician on, or allied health professions in another field, you can come here to have these open conversations on issues that we face as underrepresented minorities in medicine, specifically Black physicians and healthcare workers. This month, June, we're going to focus on transition. We have an incredible panel that's curated. It features myself. It features Dr. Italo Brown, who is an emergency medicine physician specialized in social emergency medicine. Dr. Nate Jones, who is a pediatric emergency medicine physician, and Dr. Kayana Ward. She is an obstetrician and gynecologist. For the month of June, we're going to be talking about transitions, transitioning into medical school and residency, what to expect on the wards, and ultimately transitioning into practice either as a fellow or as an attending physician. It's going to be a lot of gems and a lot of actionable takeaways that you can learn from these episodes. If you spent any time at all on the wards, you know you can't go home without sign out. So we are introducing another addition to the show. Stay tuned until the end for the sign out, which will feature uh, sometimes a special guest or feature reviews on the podcast or other current events. For the first couple of episodes, we're privileged to have Dr. Brittany Halford. She's joined us before. She's an internal medicine physician and she has a passion for finances. She joins us several times this month to provide some financial information, not advice, don't sue us. It's financial information that she's learned along the way and is pertinent to medical students and resident physicians and attendings as well. So stay tuned for that feature on the end and it's gonna to continue to change. Lastly, before we get into today's episode, I do want to highlight our social media account. So Instagram at the Black Daughters Podcast, check us out there. We will be having some special giveaways to commemorate our launch of season six, as well as completing two years on the air. We will have further information on the Instagram page, but to enter, you just need to leave a review of the show. We'll be looking for reviews posted within the month of June and selecting winners from those posts. Let's jump into this month's conversation on the Black Doctors Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Thickmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Picmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Picmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. It is June. We're kicking off um, a new version of the show. I guess we're introdu- reintroducing the show. And we're going to bring you some different content. We really want to pull in some different perspectives and provide relatable, actionable advice and information to you, our listeners, across the spectrum from pre-med all the way to attending physicians. 
I am joined this episode, Dr. Kiana Ward, good friend of mine. We went to Howard together. She is an obstetrician, gynecologist practicing now in the South. Uh, Dr. Italo Brown is on the line. He is an emergency medicine physician, graduated from Meharry Medical College, currently practicing out in California. Um, probably have another couple guests join us later on in the session. We're going to jump into it. Uh, Dr. Ward, Dr. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, it is good to be back because you guys have both been on the show before. Kiana, you were, uh, I think you guys are both the first or second seasons. I think so. Yeah. So you <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> season, season, which, is why, which season. is why you're back to share all of this wisdom. In June, we know that it is a huge month for transitions. Medical students are transitioning into residency programs. Residents are transitioning into fellowship programs, as well as becoming attending physicians. And we want to have a conversation and talk about different aspects and things you experienced in your journey, mistakes that were made, and how we can help this next generation of folks as they, uh, you know, run the gauntlet and have these experiences. So let's jump into it. Um, Dr. Ward or Kiana, we'll go by first names. Kiana, what was your transition like from medical school, Howard University, to residency at SUNY Downstate? Um, you know, I, I feel like the transition was, it was easy in some parts because I was returning back to New York. I'm originally from New York. So um, relocating from Washington, D.C., where we went to medical school to Brooklyn, um, I felt like I was returning home. So in that aspect, you know, I knew the area. I, I knew the, you know, I knew the location of where the hospital was. So trying to get familiar to the area wasn't a difficult, wasn't a difficult aspect, but, you know, trying to get acclimated to a new hospital, uh, a new hospital system. And um, now being the MD, you know, mm. to me, there was a sense of overwhelmness. I was feeling overwhelmed. And did I, did I actually belong? Was this what I was supposed to actually be doing? So initially I had those feelings kind of, kind of set in. Yeah, Itala, what about you? And you were you're coming from Meharry, um, and then moving up to. Were you from New York? Or you, it was your first time going to New York. Nah, yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't the first time, but uh, I mean, I lived in Boston for a little while for grad school, so I had traveled to New York. But uh, I would have to say it's it was kind of a, a culture shock. Yeah, I, I did most of my undergraduate stuff in the South, and then medical school in the South. But being from the West Coast. And having done grad school in what I would say New England, which is not the same as New York <laughs> at all, like they're just different, you know, from a, a cultural sense. But going to New York uh, was again, like I said, extreme culture shock. I think the the part that was most reassuring was realizing that the patient populations that I was going to see were similar to what I trained with. Mm. You know, I I was in North Nashville. It was a bunch of people of color. And I was like, I'm going to go to the Bronx where there's surprise people <laughs> color. So it wasn't like, you know, some reach. But the biggest hurdles for me were like trying to figure out where I was mm -hmm. going to live and realizing that like the cost of living was dramatically different than what I was used to for the five years I was in, you know, Nashville. I was one, one year post back four years of med school. And I was like, man, I've been used to paying a certain amount. That changed, um, but also like not going up there with a car, 
and realizing that now all of my transportation would be by foot, by like, you know, straight up Nike <laughs> or subway. It was one of the other, Nike subway or someone's vehicle. So those are things that most folks don't think about when you uh, match it to a program. And for me, it all came down like at once as this confluence of new experiences that I was Yeah, absolutely. That, that new experiences is huge. The geography, going from a different part of the country, I moved from D.C. to the Midwest. I didn't know that the Midwest had its own little vibe. There's a lot of flannel. People were really nice, um, different types <laughs> of food, cheese curds. But I, it was something I wasn't quite prepared for. And fortunately for me, it was an easy transition because the Midwesterners are nice. Keanu, uh, Italo, y'all were going to New York. Um, <laughs> you have to figure out what you're going to say before uh-huh. you say it. <laughs> you better make sure that you say yeah, the right but, stuff. But, you know, I, th- I think, you know, it's reasonable to, you know, a lot of the nurses there that I worked with had, had been there for 20 plus years. And you have this new physician that comes on and just graduated from medical school. It's all in your approach and how you talk to people. And yeah. so first, just, you know, introducing yourself, I think, is really important. Like some people just pop up and just think, hey, you know, I'm Dr. Ward. You have to listen to everything. No, I respect, you know, the experience that you had as a seasoned nurse. I think I'd like to do this. Do you think that that's cool? Like, what, what is your what is your thought on that? So it's only your approach to people. I'd have to also agree that when you figure out just how to communicate with people from a, a, a at a level of respect, uh, it, it was like currency. It really went a long way. And they can tell when a resident comes from a place mm-hmm. of entitlement mm-hmm. or feeling privileged. And and that'll get cut down real quickly by nurses who've been working in that space for 20 years, 15 years. They don't really have yeah. time for that, but they'll let you know. I think the other part I was going to say is realizing that hospital systems are yeah. all different. And just because where you did your rotations at or because you trained here, you had all of these different things, you might land somewhere where none of that's available, or you may start somewhere where none of that's available and realize that there's more intricacies than you've ever really known. Uh, and so the learning curve on in both directions is pretty steep. Yeah, because we, we, we know, man, it's it's May when we're recording this. We're going to release these episodes in June. But probably about June, July, we're going to see some tweets where somebody's pissed off some nurses. or yeah. and, and the thing is, even man. if the folks that you're working with don't come out and say that they're offended, um, if there is something that's there, it creates this hostile work environment um, yeah. where they... You know, you need to have trust going both ways between yourself as an intern or a resident and the folks that you're working with in the hospital. So it's not, you know, bending over backwards um, to the extent that you're compromising the things you learned in medical school. But like Kiana said, it's a lot of it's how you approach people, um, respect the fact that they've been in this hospital system for years. Um, they, they're seasoned nurses and they have a lot that they can learn, um, that they can teach you and you can learn from um, if you're open and receptive. But if, if you get off on the wrong foot, you know, if you do apologize, apologize, um, make it right and, and keep it pushing. You got to humble yourself or you will be yeah. humbled very 100%. expeditiously. When, when it comes to the move, um, Itala, we'll start with you. How did you fund your move? Man, I'm about to bring Uh-oh. the trauma back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one, it was like a lot of it was you know, in church, they call it love offerings, where where someone or some groups of people love you so much that they're willing to give you some money. 
so it was some love offerings involved. It was uh, a credit card. You know, I had opened up a credit card specific for my move. Uh, and I, I was, you know, pretty responsible in undergrad, you know, and, I'm sorry, in, in medical school. But, you know, you still have to be conscious of like the debt that you take on during that move. So I was trying to be as uh, fiscally responsible as possible. Uh, the other thing that I did was I relied upon people who were already living there to bring things. You know, I, New York is different in the sense that there are folks who are always trying to get rid of something that's in their house. <laughs> and so I reached out to my program in advance. I was like, are there any residents who are leaving, you know, that are trying to get rid of a couch or some, you know, appliances, something that I don't have to haul up there. And I got a lot of things for low prices because they were trying to get rid of them. And I was trying to, you know, put hmm. it in my place. That was the first thing. The second thing I would say is I cut a lot of the costs down because, uh, again, like I didn't bring a car. I didn't have to ship it. I didn't drive it. I was like, I just left the car where it was at. <clears throat> and I, I traveled very light. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say is New York is very unique in the sense that you have to essentially be vetted to find a place to live. Hmm. You, you got to go through some process. It's either you are going to get your credit checked. They're going to want an exorbitant amount up front. Um, some places there are programs that you have to qualify for, whether it's through your residency program or the hospital. They can have like hospital specific housing, but you have to go through one of these processes. And the key to that was doing it early, like not waiting, because if you waited, you were going to end up essentially paying uh, top dollar for a place. And so I would just recommend doing the due diligence uh, by asking the questions up front and not waiting to find out like how you're going to finance a live uh, a move where you're going to live and everything related to it. Kiana, how'd you fund your uh, move to New York? Um, my, my parents helped me out a lot, um, especially like once we had graduation. I got gifts from financial gifts from family members, so I just saved it. I didn't go on some huge shopping spree or anything like that. I saved it. I knew I needed at least a down payment for first month's last month's rent. So um, I used all that towards, you know, towards my, towards my living expenses and my family kind of helped me here and there. So, so extremely uh, grateful. Thank God. Canada yeah, <laughs> knows I'm one of the cheapest people that she knows. Um, so what had happened was. Oh God. <laughs> our graduation oh God. was oh May Lord. 6th. At oh. Howard University College of Medicine. I don't know how we made it to graduation, but we did. That's another story from a time another place. For the month of May, I saved rent. My brother lived about two hours south of me in Virginia. So I rented uh, a van from Avis. It's a 15-passenger van, right? Because it's like 30 bucks for a day, unlimited miles. So I took the van to my place in D.C., pulled all the seats out of the van, and it made enough room for me to put all my stuff in this 15-passenger van. So as I broke my lease for the month of May, so I moved all my stuff to this 15-passenger van, drove two hours south to my brother's house, put it all in his garage, drove back to D.C., put the seats back in the van, returned the van the next day. 30 bucks for a rental, unlimited miles. All I paid for was gas. Uh, to get my stuff to Chicago, uh, it turned out that there's this thing where Amtrak will ship stuff. So, and I didn't really have any furniture. Um, at the moment, 
so I was able to pack my stuff up on a pallet and then Amtrak actually shipped it to Chicago and then I picked it up. I rented another 15 passenger van and boom, had my stuff in my apartment. So that's how I, I uh, moved for the low. Now, the, the big mistake that I made was I did need extra money and different banks will offer short term loans, uh, relocation loans specifically for residents. So I went, you know, looked up these programs. I think you can get a max of 15,000 out. I went to Wells Fargo and I was like, nah, I won't need 15. Let me just get six. So I got 6,000 and that money went fast. It might have been some of the uh, Perry graduation celebrations, but it was gone. Uh, so I had to go back and get another 6,000. And then I got uh, some more money. I ended up taking the full, whole $15,000 out, but each time that I had to go back, I was charged another origination fee. So little did I know, I ended up paying a lot of money for that $15,000. I was able to pay it off during residency, uh, but that's one of the mistakes that I made um, in, in my moving process. You He's going to find a way. <laughs> you are <laughs> for real. This man said, I took the seats out the damn van. <laughs> innovative. He's yeah, going to find a way. Steve's going to find a way. Why didn't you just get a bigger... <laughs> <laughs> Why you just get like a U-Haul? Oh, the like an additional oh, fifteen to twenty dollars. U-Haul's oh. charge you by the mile. Oh. Um, oh, let's see. Th- this next, this next question. So, if I, I've been talking about this on the podcast, if you go to our website www.blackoutherspodcast.com, there is a link where you can actually submit a question for one of our future panels. So we'll see. If this works. I got a question from a listener. That we can answer uh, next up on the show. Here we go. Oh, nice. I've got a question for the Black Doctors podcast. When you transitioned from medical school to residency, how did you get used to working the long work weeks, you know, up to 80 hours while learning and studying every night and being ready for entering exams and patient encounters? Almost seems impossible, but what worked for you guys. That, that voice may have sounded familiar. That's because nobody yet has taken advantage of this feature on the website, but go check it out. Regardless, the question remains, how did you adjust to 80 hour work weeks and studying? Kiana. You know, the, the thing for me was that I was so happy to just have a position in residency. It was so hard for, you know, people that we know, I was able to match into the field that I love. So I took that as this is on me, like this is riding on me. So, you know, the 80 hour work week, sure. Yeah. You know, it may not, may may not be the the best at the time, but I need to take the four years that I have at this moment and get the most out of this situation because patients and their babies are relying on me in the future. And that's really important. So if it means that in the next four years, I got to work 80 hour work weeks, there are events that I have to miss because I have to study, I have to spend X amount of money for exams. You know, I had, I had to take that and just know that that, you know, came with this responsibility. I think for me, it was acknowledging the fact that there was an end, like every single day. I was like, I just got to make it to the end of this. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying listening to the show. I wanted to take a minute to talk about TrueLearn and thank them for sponsoring the Black Doctors podcast. 
TrueLearn is a medical exam preparation company that helps you outperform on your boards. If you are a medical student or resident physician, you should definitely check out their products. If you sign up, please use the code BDPODCAST and you'll get a discount. They have resources for both DO students as well as MD students and even physician assistants. When it comes to residency licensure, they offer question banks for over eight different specialties. TrueLearn gives analytics that give you insight into your study habits, your question responses, and tracks you along with your peers. Students and residents average 20% improvements after completing a TrueLearn smart bank. Check them out at truelearn.com. And again, remember to use the code DDPODCAST to receive your special discount. Now back to the show. I think for me, it was acknowledging the fact that there was an end. Like every single day. I was like, I just got to make it to the end of this. And like, that's it. You know, I have to look at, I was like, I just have to make it to the end of this. And then whatever happens when I leave is what happens. And then I do it again the next day or the next day after that. So uh, reframing it and keeping that perspective was one thing that helped me a lot. The other part is I got better and more efficient at the other things that I did because I realized that I was going to need sleep. So you get real particular about what you're going to spend your time on. And when you're like, Yo, I, I'll be back up in like six hours or whatever. You know, you, you start being like, yeah, that episode is not that important to me right now. Or, you know what? Mm, I'm going to eat these leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to eat this hospital food because I'm not about to go home and try to prepare no new meal. It's going to put me back by an hour. I just got really, really uh, discerning around what I spent my time with. And I think the last part I'll say is um, when I slept, I slept. Like I figured out how to maximize and optimize my sleeping. I was I was team blackout <laughs> curtains, team eye mask, team melatonin, team whatever I needed to go to sleep. Uh, I quiet space. I didn't put my phone in the room when I went to sleep either. I got one of them old school alarm clocks, not the one with the bells, <laughs> but just like a regular, you know, slap the digital alarm clock because I realized that your phone in your room became a distraction. I would never get sleep because mm-hmm. I always roll over, be checking somebody's, you know, mm-hmm. messages or whatever. Nope. Do not disturb phone outside the room. Uh, and I will put on this uh, alarm clock. So it just came down to me deciding that like, all of this was a process and like every other process, there is an end point and I got to just get to the end point. Um, for me, man, the, the adjustment, what I say is just like coming from uh, undergrad to medical school, you just got to step your game up. It's like as an undergrad student or as a freshman, you can't imagine the things that you're going to learn as a senior. As a senior in college, you can't imagine what you're going to learn your first and second year of medical school. And your body just kind of adapts to um, synthesizing yeah. that much information at a time. And for some reason, that same thing happens when you transition into residency. Now, me, I am terrible about sleeping. I, I don't sleep. I am a night owl. Yeah. Um, I say that, you know, for whoever's listening, because I wish I could, <laughs> man, if I took melatonin, I'm going to be out. I will not wake up the next morning. Like, I will be late. You got to eat half of <laughs> <laughs> got the titrate, brother. <laughs> got the titrate. I, w- I wasn't going to risk it, but I will, man, I'll be tired in the afternoon, but as soon as it hits nine o'clock, I'm wide awake. And I'm usually getting to bed wow. at like midnight, 
twelve thirty, and that was like most of residency, and I would just like grind it out. Um, so it's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, coffee in the afternoons, and sometimes like like Kiana said, the gravity of knowing that I have to perform because patients are depending upon me, like that more often than not was what pushed me through to continue giving a hundred percent, even though I was tired. Like I look back, I don't even know how I how I did it to be honest because that's just not me like i don't i do not sleep at night i you can ask my wife every morning i get up to to this day and i sit on the side of the bed and i just sit there and eventually she reaches over and she touches my leg like baby you gotta you gotta go and then by the time i hit the the shower the water like wakes me up like i have to have a shower every morning i'm i'm awake i'm good to go but it's something that I continuously uh, struggle with, with regarding my sleep hygiene, something that I'm, I'm working on. But I mean, so far we out here, I, I feel like I perform okay at work. I, I don't know. Can I add one thing? Because I realized that we didn't answer the studying mm. portion. Yeah. We just answered the how you get <laughs> yeah. sleep. The study portion, I think, <clears throat> it was for me at least, that I found pockets of time to study like kind of asynchronously. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I told you I took like the train or the bus or whatever. And so when I was finishing my shifts, I'd hop on a bus uh, or be waiting on the bus. And that would be time for me to catch up on a case or read something that I uh, learned that day. Uh, The other thing that I did was I kept a running log in my phone of like terms or things that I was interested in. And then I could just wherever I was at, if you obviously Keanu knows that if you travel in New York, let's say it is your Mm -hmm. off day and you want to train, you want to train for like 45 minutes. That's perfect time for me to study. I got 45 dedicated minutes where all I got to do is pay attention to the streets being named to get off of my train. And I'm in there reading about, you know, some type of case or an article or whatever. For me, for me, it was I was like, I'm going to dedicate at least 30 minutes, even if I came home and our shifts were 12 hours. So it was six to six. So with either, you know, I'm either going to read a practice bulletin, some short burst of information um, something random or something that I had learned today or encountered today that I didn't know. And that starts to add up. If you do that every single day, that little bit of information starts to build up and add up. So then once it's time for you to study for your in-service exam, it's just, okay, I'm just doing a refresher. I'm just recalling this information. Oh, I did read about that on that train ride or on that day I had off. So, you know, trying to just keep it consistent. Yeah, that's huge. For me, I I need like peace and quiet to be able to study. If I was on a train, I am looking at everything, especially in New York. I'm looking at everything going on. Ain't in the no train. <laughs> everything. I'm in everybody's business. Just distracted. <laughs> just 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 watching the man come through. <laughs> Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. May I have your attention, please? That's like, me. sir, please don't bother that. me. That's please $4. don't bother me, sir. <laughs> um, for me, like, you know, anesthesia residents, like I could never study in the OR either. Like I could never um devote enough attention to actually learn something in the OR because I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be in here taking care of a patient. So for me, like some people read in the OR and Sudoku and whatever and and study and, you know, that's between you, your program, whatever. Um, but for me, I just couldn't ever focus enough attention on it to, to study in the OR. So my weekends were when I would knock out like six or eight hours of study time. And, you know, if I got out of work early or I was post-call, that's when I would get that time in. But regarding like that 80 hour work week, man, I was like, like Kiana mentioned earlier, I was so happy to be making a paycheck. Like I I was 
thrilled. I think I was making like sixty thousand, sixty-two thousand dollars a year. I was I was over the moon. Um, so the eighty hours didn't bother me too much because I really enjoyed the work. Um, it was just finding that balance to study yeah. and perform clinically is tough. And you also have to be able to, you know, have a, a personal life, you know, outside of of studying and and working. You also have to find that time to be able to do things that you do enjoy. So. I still went out and had dinner with friends. I still went out and, and had fun. And Stephen, there have been a few times that you've come to, to New York to visit and we've hung out. So yeah. just trying to have that balance. It can't be all the time, but you should be able to to fit it in. Let, let's talk about um, evaluations, because this is something uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, Tyler, we were at the SNMA conference. This always comes up because as um, black and brown people, underrepresented and medicine minorities, Sometimes we're, we're moving into a situation where there's less diversity where we came from. If it was an HBCU we trained at, um, most residency programs aren't incredibly diverse. Um, what are some of the things you experience with regards to evaluations, um, positive, negative? How did you navigate that? I think that I got lucky uh, because in general, I've always, I always approached like each shift as though I was trying to like give it all my best and consistently grow. Like I had just that mindset when I walked in the door, I was like, yo, I got to get better today. I'm focusing on X. <clears throat> and I would always be able to keep inventory of that. Part of it, I think naturally is as a, I would say more mature, but it didn't, not about a lot, but just a more mature mindset <clears throat> or student rather in medical school. That was how I approached learning. It was just got to get better. got to figure something else out, add to this, you know, utility belt of things that I can do. So that carried over. Now, what was new to me was getting used to the various styles of feedback, because some people that you work with are, I just put it in the you know chart or put it in the record, and that's what you're going to get when they give you the, re- the evaluation at some point in your, your annual whatever review. Some people are on shift feedback, like they pull you aside afterwards and they give you the updates or whatever. Then there are people who do it in real time and will sometimes berate you or make you feel insignificant. Like you just have to really learn the attendings and their styles. And I don't say pitch to them, but I think that it, again, back to that idea of having a utility belt. Like if I was on a shift with somebody who I knew they like to have feedback right there in your face, I was like, I'm gonna be a little sharper. I'm gonna get them, make sure they give me feedback. And I'm going to make sure that I have the answers that they're looking for, almost as if I'm being, quote unquote, pimped on a shift. For the folks who gave me feedback after, I was like, all right, I'm going to beat them to the punch. After I sign out, I'm coming to them. Hey, what's your feedback for me today? And so that level of proactivity and tailoring my approach to each person kind of helped me, one, be a better people person, understand how to deliver uh, a variety of different things consistently. But two incorporating that feedback so that the next time they weren't telling me the same thing is because I tailored my approach to you. So I know exactly how this is coming. So I, I got good at that very quickly. Where I was in, in Brooklyn, the, the evaluation system was based on rotation and there was a specific attending that was in charge of handling the, the evaluations for that rotation. Um, so what was really important was initially starting that rotation areas that you were expected to basically meet those goals. And also personally, like what were some things that I expected on this GYM rotation? I wanted to be better at doing 
uh, laparoscopic suturing or just basically setting goals for myself outside of just the the program goals that needed to be met. Um, and, you know, I agree with there are some attendings that are going to give you that feedback one-on-one, some that are going to berate you, and it's all in knowing the person. And you're, you're definitely going to experience those individuals, and you'll get an idea of everyone's feedback style. At the end of the day, how I approached whether it was the attending that was going to berate me or not, or if it was the attending that was going to give me the feedback right at that time, was, again, taking that information and using it to my advantage. Yeah. So I like to tell, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's a cheat code. Um, for us, we Absolutely. would get evaluations like months late. It'd be like three, four mm-hmm. months down the road. And then you read your evaluations. Well, I mean, maybe I just didn't log in and read my evaluations. There was that also. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'd be like, dang, <laughs> yo, I worked with someone. So I thought it was a good day. And they, man, I had an evaluation that said, uh, I was like a deer in the headlights. Didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, that was a little harsh. I thought oh. we had a good day. How many days were you a deer in the headlights? Before <laughs> Man, you know, well, that that's what they I thought didn't about think you. It was any days. So it's a good thing I, I read my evaluations. That's the point. So the two things that I learned from that, number one, I personally, as an attending, I hate um, writing feedback that people won't see for weeks down, down, down the line. Right. So I, I don't berate the residents I work with, but I am very straightforward. Like, Hey, if you're not performing at an appropriate level, I will tell you that I, I watch their inductions and I go through everything that they're doing wrong right then and there, because that way they can make an actionable change next time. And now what I write down is what, whatever, they're going to get some numbers, right? And we've seen how those numbers get used in, in evaluations and competency committees mm-hmm. that, that doesn't do it for me. For me, it's the, the interactions, but what I recommend for every resident starting is to seek out that verbal feedback because you let stuff slide. You don't know what somebody's going to sit back and then write and in write. your in your file. If you go to them person to person, and be like, "Hey, do you have any feedback for today?" You give them an opportunity to just go off, get whatever it is off their chest. They're going to say whatever it is they're going to say. But when it comes to the writing part, they're going to say, mm, "I already let them have it." I'm going to, you know, whatever they write is going to be a little milder than what it otherwise could have been. So that's one of the the tips that one of my attendings um, kind of let me know um, really early on to kind of help temper what gets written down in your evaluations. Because for you, those of you that don't know, especially as underrepresented in medicine minorities, you come in, there's going to be number systems, it's rubrics. Um, and time and time again, we are evaluated lower than our peers for a variety of reasons you know, being underrepresented in the field, having attendings that don't look like us represent us. Um, so it's something that you need to be aware of from day one, keep your head in a swivel and make sure that you're being treated the same as everybody else and that you're you're not um, being taken advantage of or, or, or subjugated. I felt like the times where I did both of those things, meaning like not what you just said, but incorporated the feedback uh, with a sense of urgency but also sought the feedback, I gained the trust mm-hmm. of those attendings a lot more rapidly. And uh, that that served me later, you know, pretty well in terms of, you know, when I was at the point where I needed to do more uh, senior level things or where they saw that I could do more senior level things, even though I may not have been a senior, they trusted me to do it. And it, added, it aided my progression. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really unique was at some point you're going to have to apply for a job. Yeah. 
like a real, you know, job. And you need to have folks who can speak confidently to what you look like when you were trash, what you look like when you got better and what you look like now that you are clinically excellent. And so the only way you'll know who to ask is if you are consistently seeking out that feedback and get a, a sense of, you know, who's good at this, like who actually can speak to my abilities because they care. Our program was split. So when I was at the county hospital, there were more attendings that looked like me. So I was the only black female in the intern class, in, in all honesty, in the program. Now that I think about it at that time when I came in as an intern. So I didn't have to seek out the feedback. They they were going to give it to me, especially <laughs> the attendants that looked like me, because they were just like, you're representing us. You're going to be the best in this class. And so, you know, even though there was some times where I was turning my neck, like, damn, why they got to be so hard on me? I had an attendant pull me to the side. He's like, the only black resident in this program. Nah, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're going we're gonna to handle this. And, you know, I felt the weight of that and the responsibility. And, and ever since then, they, they had taken a Howard student after me. So yeah. I felt like, you know, I had set the tone. So I appreciate it. Definitely. We're going to transition. We're going to talk briefly. Um, I know Talo has to, to leave, but we're going to talk about transitions from the end of residency, fellowship, and then attending life. Now, Italo went to fellowship in social emergency medicine out in California. So can you talk um, briefly about what it was like to transition from residency to fellowship? Uh, similar things from when I transitioned from medical school to <clears throat> residency. Uh, that came Be sure to tune in next week when we continue the conversation. And now it's time for Sign Out. This week it featured Dr. Brittany Halford, an internal medicine physician and financial guru, here to share some tips on money management. Dr. Brittany Halford is a financial guru. She has a ton of helpful information that she provides both on YouTube as well as on Instagram. And she is so gracious to come visit us and share some of the incredible things that she's learned over the years about managing finance. This is not financial advice. Don't sue us. But this is going to be some very helpful information. Brittany, thank you. And you've been on the show before. So thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure. <laughs> Between you and your husband, Kevin, you know, you guys are have definitely always welcome to the show. You always bring so much incredible information. You were on uh, about a year ago and you were talking about financial ramifications of transitioning from medical school to residency and residency on. We talked about your wedding and how you uh, kept the cost down for that. So good to talk with you again. Yes, thank you. And, you know, that always brings a chuckle. And I'm so glad that during our follow-up conversation, you shared, you know, your own um, money <laughs> snafu where you were trying to save money and doing way too much, Stephen. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it yep. really it brings a smile to my face to know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, no, no, there's no trust. There's plenty of stories in the vault that have yet to be shared. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so last time you're with us, you mm -hmm. talked about one of the biggest things, you know, budgeting, 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 for some, it's a it's a bad word, but it is crucial. It is key to managing money. And you shared in a, a fantastic way that you look at budgeting. Um, can you share that again for our listeners? I know we got some new folks in the audience and, and listening. Yes, I can always talk about this. <laughs> so in um, medical school, we really are taught about finance. And when we exit medical school, we're left with a huge amount of debt. And 
the responsibility in the future to manage large sums of, of income. And because of that, when I left medical school, I was trying to figure things out of how am I going to pay down this debt and manage it on a resident salary. And I came up with the method called the joy budgeting method. And like you said, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, budgeting is such a bad word. It feels like restriction. It feels like, you know, restraint that you're going to be without. It feels like drudgery. And I knew that there had to be a way that I could still accomplish my financial goals of paying down my debt while having joy, while living my life. Because in medicine, like we postpone so much of our lives to sit down and study and learn the art of medicine. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So what I did was I made a joy a priority. And by doing that, and I didn't know this at the time, but it's actually scientifically proven, like there have been studies that show if you make joy a priority. So studies show if you pay for experiences, if you pay on, <clears throat> spend your money, for others, then, and also to spend your money to get your time back, then you're going to have more lifetime satisfaction with your money. We know that we can always make more money, that we can always exchange our time and energy for money, but our time and our energy are limited resources. So yeah. there has to be a way in which we can accomplish our goals and do it in a way that fulfills our lives and brings us joy. So this is the joy budgeting method. And essentially what it is, is that you have to key in, sit down with yourself, really understand what brings you joy. Not what brings your girlfriend joy, not what brings, you know, your classmates joy, not what brings your significant others joy. Like, your mama, no, you, yeah. <laughs> you know. The neighbors, the Joneses. Exactly, right? You have to really understand what brings you joy. And then by doing that, you can prioritize spending your money on those things. So as you are paying off your student loans, as you are paying down your credit card debt, as you are building wealth for your family, you're able to do it in a meaningful way because you've already accounted for what gives your life fulfillment. Yeah. And by doing that, it doesn't feel like sacrifice or drudgery because what matters most to you, you've already accounted for. So yeah, I can you know donate X amount of money to the church or I can save 20% of my income for my retirement savings or invest in a 529 account for my children because that vacation pay for it's a priority that brings me joy or, you know, going and getting my nails and my toes done or having a couple's massage, whatever it might be that matters to you, you've accounted for that expense up front and then you fill in the gaps. Because really, if you think about it, we can all spend our money on so many things. Yep. And at the end of the day, you could feel like, what the heck did I buy? <laughs> Where did my money go? And by making a plan, and it's really just a spending plan that optimizes joy, then it won't feel like you're on a money diet. That's huge. How long have you been doing this joy budgeting method? Um, it started in residency when I refinanced my, or sorry, after um, 
after I graduated from residency, when I refinanced student loans, that's really where I really keyed in because I knew that I wanted to get out of debt faster than what I had refinanced for. And so I, I am a saver, right? So I was cutting corners in other ways. And I'm sure that Kevin can tell you so many hilarious stories, <laughs> <laughs> more than what I've shared already on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but it really started as an attending. And I think that there were probably glimpses of this budgeting process in residency and even in medical school. It's really interesting. I think God creates us who we are and implants little seeds to grow even as a child. And so I was going back because I never discard anything in my Google Docs and I see a budget that I created as a medical student. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this was the formation of me, you know, being this money coach. (laughs) Yeah. That is fantastic. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this joy budgeting method. Um, Month of June for the podcast, we are talking about transitions. And I know for medical students transitioning into residency, actually anybody at any point in your life that, you know, you you have some financial constraints, you can always uh, turn to budgeting and it's always a good time to get started. Uh, You speak more and more about this and other topics in a couple of different mediums. Um, I know the well. The main one that I see is on Instagram, um, but what is the uh, YouTube channel that you run, and where can people find out more? Yes, uh, more joy, more wealth is the YouTube channel, and um, I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but the goal is to get back with some new video. So I love that you're doing this segment and giving me some motivation to um, actually start to create more. But Instagram, I'm pretty consistent on my Instagram um, through, you know, reels or stories, sharing information that is valuable. If they go to my Instagram, I also have other options for you just need a debt payoff checklist. Then that's um, something that I've created. You can get onto my email list, which I serve my audience by giving financial education, financial information that helps us to elevate our financial literacy, which is really the foundation of management. Fantastic. And I love the sound of that. More money, more wealth. So definitely check out uh, Dr. Halford and all the content she's putting out. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The Black Doctors Podcast is a volunteer passion project that is building a community and inspiring current and future Black physicians and healthcare workers. If you enjoy listening, please tell a friend about the show and share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use your help. You can find us online at theblackdoctorspodcast.com or visit us on Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters. Original music and audio editing by Dr. Stephen Bradley. Special thanks to creative director Dr. Nate Jones and to our panelists and contributors Dr. Italo Brown, Dr. Kayana Ward, and Dr. Brittany Halford.